Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I... uh... I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. This is Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Jared Saltzlamakia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. Our base, <laughs> baseball isn't boring because of relatives. It's, this is uh, it's because of families, because of... This is where the baseball has taken root in the backyard, the wiffle ball fields, um, the, the trading the baseball cards, the going to the games, all of that. So the first edition of the Baseballs and Boring Relatively Speaking series, which I feel like we should be doing on a stage in front of 500 people, uh, <laughs> are the Fatsy Brothers. TJ, most importantly, TJ, how are you? Doing great, Rob. How are you doing? I'm great. And uh, the guy... No, also, you might know him as the hitting coach for the Boston Red Sox, his brother, Pete. So um, there you go. Who who would have ever thought when you guys were eight years old? How What's your age difference? So we're I'm, – I'm 35. So you got to be 32, right? I'm turning, yeah, I'm turning six. Unfortunately, yeah, 32. Yeah, yeah I'm right. So we, got a middle brother. Oh, we got a middle brother also. He's right in between. So we were all in high school at the same point, actually, my senior year, which is pretty cool. Okay. So when you guys were – Let's see, 35. So, so Pete, when you were 10 and TJ was 7, you said, let's, let me just tell you, don't be upset that you struck out in Little League. We're going to be on a podcast someday. <laughs> yeah, that was always, yeah, that was at the forefront of every conversation. We're going to make it big on this podcast. That was the thought. I think that was oh. right after somebody threw a wiffle ball bat at each other, but it was in there somewhere for sure. <laughs> All right. So there's a lot to get to. I, and I want to, first off, you guys both grew up Red Sox fans, correct? Correct. All right. Absolutely. So take me take me behind the scenes when and I'm going to start with TJ first because because I, I'm more interested in his reaction when Pete gets the job when Pete gets the Red Sox job and Pete where were you I I, I lose track of time where were you before I was in uh, with the Minnesota Twins Minnesota Twins that's yep. right so when when Pete gets the job well first of all. 
does he tell you that he's talking to the Red Sox and he says, don't tell him. This is a, this is the first topic of relatively speaking. How much do you trust your relatives? Uh, <laughs> so, so did so TJ, did Pete tell you he was talking to the Red Sox? So at first he told me he was talking to another team, which I thought that's awesome. But I, in my head, I'm like, where's he moving to? Is he going to Pittsburgh? <laughs> Is he going to Atlanta? Is it the Yankees? You know, like, I'm like, it could be anybody. So the furthest team from my brain was the Boston Red Sox. So I think he actually went, you went and met potentially with, maybe it was the owner, John Henry, or it was AC. But afterwards, you told me, you just said, I wouldn't believe it. And I still, in my wildest dreams, did not pick the Red Sox in my brain. So I think you actually let it fester for a while before you, you gave me the initials. You said AC was who you interviewed with. And I think that festered for maybe about 24 hours. And I finally said, no way. And then you were like, yes way. And I think yeah. I still don't even believe it. I see you on TV every night, still hasn't kicked in. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember I remember I I I tried to keep it pretty discreet because I didn't necessarily believe it myself <laughs> at the time. When I when I got the call from BOH to interview, um it was pretty surreal for me. And and obviously being a local kid and with ties to just we've you know going to Red Sox games as kids. We had a Fenway park in our backyard and um obviously love love watching the Red Sox uh it was pretty surreal to even get an opportunity to to go and interview so I think at the time I was my wheels were spinning also Rob trying to figure some things out and uh everything kind of came together so quickly because I remember I was out to I was headed out to the fall league and I had to you know I had to cancel my flight or reschedule my flight and things were just happening so fast I couldn't remember who I told but all I uh all I knew is that I was excited to get to Fenway Park so when you when you do tell TJ Give me the phone call because this is a phone call where, or maybe you told him in person. I don't know. Yeah. Meet me down the Dairy Queen. I have something to tell you. I don't know. Farms. Come in farms. There you go. All right. So, but do, what, TJ, do you remember that phone call? Yeah, I think it was actually through text because Pete, you were actually pretty busy at that time. I think you were going between Boston every now and then. And Pete, you know, after, after that fact, you actually give me calls from the Mass Pike at one in the morning. I was right back sometimes, but <laughs> He actually texted me and it, it prefaced, it said, this cannot go anywhere, you know, but our parents know about it. And he says, I'll tell you who it is. And like I said, he gave me the initial AC. So I kind of knew it. And he goes, it's the Boston Red Sox. And I about yeah. fell over my chair. I mean, we have a lot of exciting, you know, I have, I have two, um, two younger kids just had a, a newborn at the time. And I about fell out of my seat when he said that, because like I said, it wasn't even in the realm of possibility in my brain, let alone the fact the team in our backyard I've been rooting for. So though it was over text message, I still fell out of my seat and I read it. You know, I actually still have that text from this day and I- I've read it a couple of times. I still believe it. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I remember. Yeah, I remember obviously texting T. I remember texting our middle brother, Andrew, my parents. And, and I, I do remember, too, because it was time sensitive, um, just with the nature of it. And I remember just being uber concerned that nobody let this get out because I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to make sure I respected the the processes and everything. So, um yeah, I remember that vividly. It was it was a really cool moment. Okay, so that leads me to the how much do you trust your brother? Uh, <laughs> so, but this is a very real thing. Like I, you know, as a media member, you know, we are a lot of times we're told, "Hey, don't say anything." You know, uh, but as a family member, holy crap, there's a whole lot more of "Hey, don't say anything" or or or. DJ, you're like, you're, you're resisting. And, and it's different, like maybe when he was with the twins or whatever, now you're, he's with the team that you're rooting for, that you're following. And you, I mean, how hard was it to say 
or, or to resist basically saying, hey, what's going on with this? What's happening here? And did you and did Pete say don't or either not respond to you for the first time <laughs> in his life or just say, hey, don't bother me? <laughs> no, he, he, I mean, Pete, you gave me limited information, but I think saying the words you were hired by the Red Sox kind of said it all. But no, it was it was tough to keep it secret, number one, because I think, you know, I just like talking Red Sox. I like talking the news, you know, and amongst my family, you know, I like just talking about the team. So for it to be, you know, talking in our circles, just my family, it was, you know, it was enough just to kind of get it off your chest. But in terms of not wanting to tell anybody outside our circles, sure, it was tough. I think for Pete's sake, right, like obviously try to put on a good, a good face because it's his job at the end of the day, you know, he has protocol. But to be honest, it was hard. We just wanted to talk about it with different people. And, you know, until the news came out, it was it was really hard. So well, how about, yeah, I think how about, you can trust us. How about, yeah, but how, how about as it went on? Like, how about as, like, he's in the job and someone's in a slump or there's, like, a big to- – I can't even think of a big to- – like, a big topic of, like, I, hey, Pete, what's going on here? Like, I'm, I want to know. <laughs> no, I, I think – I mean, Pete, no secret out. Those first couple months were tough, and I think you put on a really good face, whether it was doing your first interviews during that kind of trying time or whatnot. I think for us, Rob, like growing up with what we did in our family, like we know there's a professional, you know, part about every job and you have to just keep doing it. So I don't think, and we know how tough it is, you know, to work in Boston, the expectations, though some people might not react rationally, they want to point the finger at somebody. And and we know that, right? So that's where for me, it was just like, you know, you, you're not going to get mad at fans reactions. That's what makes the fan base passionate. That's what makes them show up every day. But, you know, for for some of the things you try to look through and go, hey, look, how much can a new hitting coach really disrupt the lineup trying to implement something new? You just try to bring ration back and say, hey, we'll get, you know, he'll get through it. The team will get through it. I think that's what prevailed. So as much as it was to try to calm ourselves from jumping over every maybe negative article, every comment, I think our, our you know, who we are, we just kind of know how, you know, the Boston landscape works and the kind of person Pete was kind of worked through that. So I, it was I, tough, I, but we got through it. I know. I, I tell you, so, I, you know, we go through it. The because the media has become more out there than ever. It used to be go on message boards, right? There wasn't <laughs> social media. Yep. And now there's social media. Yep. And I remember like my, my brother used to get so riled up over it. And I said, dude, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Pete, like, where are you sort of that way? Like, do you you like I can handle this, but it's almost like you worry more about your family than anything, right? Well, that's that's what I was about to say. Is it's not it's not even so much you know my personal you know obviously everybody has a job to do, and there's a lot of people that you know that love the Red Sox and they and obviously expect us to do great things as obviously um, you know we do ourselves. And when that doesn't happen, I understand the frustration. But you know the thing that I have to keep reminding myself about is the the work ethic and the process and. Um, you know, making sure our guys are in a good place every day. And if we feel like those three things are kind of happening, then we're in a good spot. Um, I, I usually never, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm aware pro- probably a little bit, uh, I don't want to say a little bit too much, but just with so many people and relatives in the area, and, you know, ex-coaches and teammates, like I'm aware of sometimes of the public perception, the narrative, but it doesn't sway, you know, what I do or how I go about my job. Um, yeah. And so to answer your question, I think like for me, it's more, you know, I hope my mom doesn't read something in the paper that's going to, you know, piss her off. For the next week, you know, or my grandmother, um, because you know she's all over Nesson. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so before we get to the creep toward the here and the now, go back, go back in time to like you said the the fancy wiffle ball. What was a picture you wow. saw? Was that the was that was that a Fenway Park? Was that your backyard? Oh yeah, yeah, yep. and, oh yeah, get, yeah. And we'll let I'll let TJ dive into that. But we had 
I mean, it started out with the side of our, my, my uh, parents' barns. We had a horse barn. We had horses growing up. So we, we built it off the side of the barn, and it just kind of slowly progressed into, I mean, TJ, uh, TJ did everything. I mean, I think and we had lights, and we had a scoreboard, and we had dirt cutouts, and we had a mound, and we had a pesky pole, and we were up on the roof drilling holes into it to put foul poles straight. It was like, I mean, we, we, it got to the point where the, the, school, the school down the street would bring their kids up for like an opening day ceremony every spring. Like they would bring the kids up for a, uh, yeah, exactly. It, it was wild. So people would stop and take pictures and we'd be playing on it. And uh, it was kind of one of those, uh, those things that was uh, heard quite a bit through our neighborhoods and our towns, surrounding towns. So, yeah, we had a lot of friends that would come over just to use the football field. I think they wanted to hang out with us too, but get to play the football field. <laughs> What do you got, Rob, we would have random strangers that would just drive down a dirt driveway and just would come and watch. And we'd be like, we need to call the police there. And they'd just be like, oh, we're just watching. It, would, yeah. it just be, kind of became a norm. It was kind of interesting. So, but, um, so I mean, so that was wiffle ball, right? Wiffle ball field? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the wiffle ball field. So I know I did something. It seems so like remedial compared to that. I put up a sheet that was my green monster, you know, so, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but I could imitate everybody in the 1978 Red Sox batting order. All right. So did you guys do that? So there's always like little things like that. So who, whose batting stance did each of you imitate the most growing up? And by the way, by the way, you'll appreciate this, Pete. Maybe you won't because you're too young. Phil Plantier ruined my summer league for at least two two seasons. <laughs> oh my gosh! I, well, I got to say, I think every kid in the Northeast when we were growing up was 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 doing some form of the Nomar with the wrist straps. You know, I mean, I felt like they're kicking their kicking their uh, their cleats into the ground. So my guess is I was probably doing something Nomar ish uh, at the time. I also had, and this is a little. I mean, he he's one of the all time greats. I also I had a little Griffey in me when I was a kid. I would always try and imitate Griffey. I don't know. I, I love the left hat hand. Backwards, little, hat backwards. I wasn't cool enough for the hat backwards. Oh. More so, just more so, just kind of the like the setup, the tall setup, and then and then the finish. But um, yeah, I don't know. Manny was obviously, you know, for us, Manny was a guy that we were. You know, I still love his swing. It's still one of my favorite swings of all time. Um, but yeah, I think it was a, a lot of Griffey actually that I, I was imitating. I don't know about you, T. Yeah, well, you I like. Yeah, I, this is kind of, I mean, two random ones, but I had Shea Hildenbrand and uh, Car- Car- wow. Carl Everett. Carl, yeah, Everett. Carl Everett, the closed shoulder, I loved it. It was kind of like the Griffey, but, you know, as yeah. a, you know, I had to kind of adopt to as a righty, but I love the Carl Everett swing. Kind of the bat. Yeah. It's great. Did you have, did you simulate Carl Everett where you headbutted one of the umpires? On <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, no. no. That, that might have been me, headbutting me or, my, or Andrew at some point. Well, so, so, so TJ, so you're sitting there and you're saying, you're looking over at this guy and saying, oh man, yeah, he's a good wiffle ball player. He's imitating Ken Griffey. You know, someday he's going to be a hitting coach. Like, so did, when did you start seeing, like, first you, first you have to be a good player. Okay. But when did you start seeing TJ? When did you start seeing Pete and saying in that light of, wow, he's really interested in things that would ultimately lead him down to where he became. Yeah, I, I, I think Pete's very mechanical in terms of breaking down anything he's trying to accomplish. I think there's nothing more mechanical than something like the art of hitting. So I think from a very young age, Pete, you borderline tortured yourself to kind of almost perfect <laughs> your swing and, and learn about it. I think nothing 
puts that more, you know, in a picture than his senior year. You, I think you had a slump your first week. I so think yeah. you went to the bat. You went to the batting cages after every single day, after every practice, and literally broke down your swing with your girlfriend sitting there until it got dark and they turned the lights off on you. Um, no, we're so not married. Think, <laughs> and they're now that. married. Yeah. I was so, going to say, uh, what, what an aphrodisiac that is uh, to, <laughs> to take your girlfriend to the batting cages. But well, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, so from his teenage years on, I think it was very, you know, apparent to me that there wasn't going to be a life without baseball for Pete. And especially going through his college days and into his minor league pro days, I think you you realize very soon into your minor league days that you might have a career in coaching more than playing, you know? So I think when he started to, you know, help um, hitters out as that kind of outside money while he was playing in the minor leagues, I watched a couple of his sessions and I came from the hockey world where goaltending is very mechanical. And, you know, there's a lot of one-on-one coaching. Pete just had it. He had the tweaks. He had the mentality to kind of take, take somebody that and what they can't see and point out to them. So I think I always knew right then and there that, you know, Pete wasn't going to have life without baseball. And I think he's seeing it right now. Well, well let me yeah. ask, go, go ahead, Pete. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I would agree. It's, it's funny because I think baseball, because it was something that we did so naturally growing up uh, as kids, like my father, my uncle are huge into baseball. It was always that just the pastime. We were always just playing. You know, I was never, I, my father was, I mean, I mean, I, he's my first and be, one of my best, the best baseball influences in my life. But like, we weren't, we didn't, we didn't get coached a whole lot in terms of mechanics or about, you know, we just kind of played. And when I got to college and obviously that, you know, that served a purpose to serve me well. But I remember when I got to college, I was really exposed to the game at a different level for the first time. And there were in the intricacies of the game, not even just the swing, but just all of the little things that go up, that go into a game offensively, defensively, um, and I remember just being like, I was completely, I don't want to say obsessed, but I wasn't in a sense obsessed with all the little things that go into competing. And the more I played, the more I learned, I was kind of doing a crash course in baseball when I got to college, because again, it was something so new. I never played travel ball. We played Legion ball. And again, it was, our exposure was really raw. So the more that I learned, the more I was hungry to apply to myself and perfect, but ultimately it was something that I was really excited to pass on once I got an opportunity to get in front of some, you know, some hitters. So um, you know, I think timing is everything too. Obviously when you're, you know, you're going through the professional ranks, obviously minor leaguers, you know, you, you, we weren't making a ton of money, any money at all. So it, it started out as like a little passion project that turned into a, a full fledged <laughs> career. And, uh, yeah. So I thought it was, I think it was cool. And obviously I do remember those two games. I remember it vividly in high school and I remember it vividly, it was a coin op machine at, at, uh, at, uh, like a local outdoor batting cage. And I just, I might, I might as, I might as well hit fifty rounds until I figured it out. So, and you, you stack the, co- and you stack the coins on top of it. it. We can make sure that everyone understands you're not taking this game for a while. <laughs> yeah, I want to know. I'm not getting in here. Sorry. Yeah. So, so TJ, <laughs> when when you're like, this is, it's really interesting. Like we we we, <laughs> the, the average fan just say, well, this team is hitting or it's not hitting, and the hitting coach is good or it's not good. But for you, a kid who played baseball. Let's just take Yoshida, for instance, right? Do you say, oh, wow, that's really interesting. What did you do there? Do you ever dive deep into that with Pete, or do you still still sort of like, I don't want to cross that barrier? I, I want to respect Pete's professional professionalism, if you will, and I don't want to go too deep. But as a fan and kind of like someone who wants to understand baseball, of course, I'll absolutely throw out those questions. And I think you know, Pete's more than welcoming to answer, which I find very insightful. Because again, I mean, as much as 
it means nothing to me to make me more just an educated fan and somebody who's watching the game. I think, you know, it's just really cool to kind of have that relationship with my brother to be able to say, hey, I'm passionate about baseball as well. What are you doing with Yoshida? You know, closing the stance, where are the hands going? Especially with a guy like Duran. I think you've answered a million of my questions before and just some of the guys, you know, who have been kind of up and coming the past couple of seasons. So that part has just been, you know, he's answering all the questions, the little kid or even just the developing player that I would have loved to have asked. But, you know, obviously not everybody has a brother who's a hitting coach. So that, you know, he's definitely welcoming and answering and it just, you know, makes you de- definitely more informed of what's going on. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, there, go ahead, Pete. I was going to say there's always, and there's always that like fine line, right? Like anything that it, there's, you know, there's the aesthetic, you know, the small aesthetic pieces that I think are, you know, more than that I would share with anybody. Right. But yeah. there, there's a lot of things too, that obviously we keep, you have to keep behind closed doors, right. Despite family, despite relationships, it's, it's more for the res- out of the respect of the player, if that makes sense. Like it's, mm. you know, yeah, yeah, like, no, it makes sense. Those sort, those sorts of things. But yeah, as far as, far as like the little things, you know, we're, we're more than happy to kind of shed some 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 light on some of those little things. Well, so TJ, let me ask you this: so there's, there's no, it's like a parent, right? No one gives you the guidebook on how to be a parent, sort of. No one gives you the guidebook on how to be the brother of the Red Sox hitting coach. <laughs> Uh, so what is the thing that has now that we're a couple of years into it has sort of like, Oh, I did not expect this part of it. Maybe it's like, Oh man, take people asking me, Joe Schmo, who I barely knew in high school, asking me for tickets. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's the social media aspect. Maybe it's the talk. I don't know. What is the thing that sort of you didn't see coming being the brother of Pete? Yeah, I, I, I can say going into it, I kind of knew the general gist of what would happen. And I think for me, like personally, like I definitely was more of a just I don't even want to be seen. I don't even want to be heard type thing. But it's inevitable that people are going to ask questions. So it's just funny when you are kind of in like a group setting, you can tell when somebody wants to ask a question and be like, hey, do you have any inside info? Like for me, I think, you know, Pete the nail on the head, like he keeps a professional way about it. We try to keep a professional relationship about it, too, in terms of what we talk about. So, of course, you know, trying to politely dismiss some of those conversations that people ask, because for me, I want nothing more to it than just be able to continue to enjoy it as a fan and not let that side of it creep into it. Because Red Sox is a huge part of my life. And I think I was telling you before, um, you know, I definitely live or die by what's going on. But in terms of Pete, it's nice to get a little bit of just extra behind the scenes. But I try to, you know, fend off those other conversations, other people trying to jump in on what we may know. So I try to leave ourselves out of it as much as we can. What's the most crap you've given them? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't think we've had any yet. I, I think I, well, I, think I mean, I, there must I, be like something on Nesson, like they show like an image on Nesson that he does something. Uh, or- no, no, no. Nesson. I'll tell you what it is right now, Rob. It was, I remember, and it wasn't just from him. It, it was when I remember they did some article featuring me somewhere. And it was like me sitting there in a very stoic pose. And the amount of people that I got asking if I had quit my job and started working for LL Bean, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I can't. And TJ, I'm sorry if you didn't if you didn't give me a hard time for that. Then there you go. I There's ammo it. when you need it. I think I missed that one. But your first interview, I remember. I have a TV next to my computer. I work from home, and I heard his voice on Ness and Tom Karen's <laughs> interviewing him. And to hear Pete's kind of professional tone, I just wasn't used to that. 
And I'm just like, who's this robot talking? But it was, it was caught me off guard when I heard his voice for the first time. So yeah. that was funny. Well, if it makes you feel any better, uh, Alex Cora suggests that I change my voice for my broadcast. So uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it's just, you, know, you gotta, you get, you gotta go with what people know. You gotta, you gotta, play I hear you. uh, right. l- let me ask you guys this. This is, when I was doing the uh, a critically acclaimed book, A Damn Near Perfect Game with Joe Kelly, um, we asked, I was asking, actually, I wasn't even asking this. I was just talking about baseball with a bunch of people, John Hamm and Rob Lowe and all these people. And this one thing came up about when you entered a stadium for the first time as a kid. Like, because a lot of this stuff, like everyone, the good, great thing about baseball is like we all have great stories. You guys have already told us a part of this great story that you had. But when you walk into a stadium for the first time, more people said in this book, said, it's just all I remember is that everything was so green and the uniforms are so white. And Nate Cordry, the actor, uh, he did inter- introduce the fact that it was the first time he ever uh, used a urinal, uh, a trough urinal <laughs> at Fenway Park. But but so for you guys, do you remember your first games? It wasn't the first, same first game. I don't know. No. I, yeah, Pia, I'll go first. So, Rob, you hit on it. Um, this is exactly how Fatsy Fenway was born, by the way. It was my first trip to Fenway Park. I actually went to the first series that Ichiro came. That was my first time going to Fenway. I don't believe it was the first game. Might have been a, it was a night game. But I remember walking up the steps for the first time. You have this huge image of what Fenway Park looks like. And exactly what you said. Uniform whites looked even brighter. The grass looked even greener. And I just got absolutely entrenched in the Fenway aura. I remember Ichiro was there and there was so much hype. And I was young. But I just remember, I don't think I watched more. I'm not kidding. Probably than. 20 pitches the whole game. I literally was just looking around every aspect of the field. I remember that's when I came home and, and literally the next day I put bases down in that, in that barn path that or uh, barn area that we had at home. And that was kind of the rest is history with, with the wiffle ball field. I just kind of, I was already a fan of the Red Sox. I think leaving there just made it a lifelong. Um, well, how old were you? About? How old? I had to have been about eight, nine okay. eight years old. Yep. All right. Were you yeah. before that Pete? Yeah, I was a little before that. I'm trying to think of who it was against. I remember being there. I feel like it was against the Cleveland Indians. Um, but I remember it. What's interesting about my first time, I remember walking down. We had seats behind the netting in, in, in uh, behind home plate, I think on the second, like the second tier there. And I remember like just being obsessed with watching the players, like playing catch, how they ran, how they swung, how they what they did in between innings, what they did in between pitches. Like, I just remember being obsessed with, with, with watching the players. Like obviously being in Fenway park was, you know, I mean, it's, it was a spectacle. It's a spectacle, but like, for me, I just remember the players, like how, like how crisp the ball was when they threw it, like how white the ball was. <laughs> I remember all those, I remember those sorts of things. And, and it's still, and, I, and then I remember at the end of the game, um, I don't remember the score, but we were able to get down a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And all I want to do is like, just get as close as I could to the field. Like I wanted to be as close to the players as I possibly could get. That's were, what, you that's guys, what, were you guys big autograph guys? I was not. No, 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 no. Yeah. So, I mean, it's autographs have sort of like gone the way of selfie. I mean, selfies have re- sort of replaced autographs. Mm-hmm. I know that I have to uh, resist the urge of taking one with Pete every time I walk on the field. <laughs> uh, this is the man who has the third most <laughs> runs in the major leagues as we sit here. Uh so uh but it's um 
So I want to ask you guys this, like, so that we talk about, this is a conversation and I want you to ask me anything about the media from the media from, because I feel like, like TJ, you obviously have a great Twitter account and awesome. And I'm not just saying <laughs> that because you constantly uh, are, are pushing the baseballs and boring brand, which I appreciate that. A really it's good, brand. smart, smart Twitter account is at TF Fassy, right? Correct. That's right. All right, which I asked <laughs> to be the spring trade. I'm like, who is this fancy? <laughs> but it was actually so- Pizza Burner account. He was just trying to. <laughs> well, everybody's got one. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so, let me. Uh, so, like, I don't know either one of you. Like, if do you have any questions about the way that media is now? Because this is a and even P. Like, you can ask because this is sort of. It, believe me, it changes every single day. Uh, I had this conversation with Heim Bloom. I asked him, I, I gave him the same thing. It was at the beginning of the interview, but I said, hey, listen, I'm gonna about to ask you a lot of tough questions. Here you go. Ask me a question. And I think his was something along the lines of, why do people write what they write? Mm-hmm. And, and I said, my answer was because we much, it goes back to analytics. We see what works and what doesn't. Right. It's a fact. Now mm-hmm. you have to balance that. It's sort of like I'm going to relate it to baseball where in baseball, it's a long season. So you don't just take that analytic and say, oh, this is absolutely you have to do this every time. Maybe it's not best for the long haul. So in, in the media, you go with what you think is going to be good for business, whatever, whatever they want to value. But at the same time, you know, I'm not going to like I could go in there. Um, like, for instance, I'll give you an example. In Baltimore last week, whatever it was, when we had the bullpen thing, right? Mm-hmm. Guys told me about it, but they also didn't want to go go on the record, put their name on it, whatever. I'm respectful of that, right? So if I burn that respect, it's gone, even though I would have gotten a ton of attention and would have also fended off a bunch of crap crackpots from Baltimore, you know, for that night. But anyway, what I'm saying is that that was my answer to him. You Mm. go with sort of what's good for business and also what your bosses value. That's another thing. Why I'll try the hard part is staying respectful and not being salacious and not like just tweeting out every single thing. Anyway, there's Mm. my spiel. But so, do you guys have any questions? Yeah, I've always been curious. Like, how how hard is it to take the other side of maybe something you don't truly believe? Because, like you said, it is good for business. Is that come up often for you or even as a talking point when you kind of do your, your own spots on other podcasts or radios? Radio well, I, I think that the only time for me that ever comes up, I, cause I, I don't think that I need to do that at this, at this point in my life. I'm like, no, thanks. Right. Um, I, I either, I believe it or I don't maybe I'm wrong what in what I believe, but, but at the same time, the only time if you're doing a talk show and you feel like the person is being really, over the top, let's say homerish and boring. Yeah. You're like, okay. Like for instance, um, it was it, it was after the sales start in Baltimore. And I was doing the post-game show. And I, I shouldn't I shouldn't bring this up because I don't know who I am, but the person is an excellent, excellent, does an excellent job. But but it was like, oh, I know this happened, but they're gonna figure it out. But that's not that's not what people want to hear. They want to figure out what happened to Chris Sale. I said, that's all well and good, but you have to figure this out. So 
Um, so anyway, that's the only uh, analogy I can get. But I know what you mean. I mean, I think that for talk show hosts, it's a little bit different because they don't, number one, they don't have to go in the clubhouse the next day. That's right. a big part of it. I mean, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. My, my question would be, I guess, managing personal relationships. I mean, you guys are around us all the time. You know, they're everywhere we are. Uh, managing personal relationships with people that you ultimately have to report to fan to, you know, media outlets on. Now, how challenging is that for you? You know, cause I, that's something that I could see you know, good, good and bad. Right. Like I think it's, yeah. It's well, a, you have to, at some point you have to write, talk negative. Not everyone does right. well. Right. Right. And, exactly. And I think it's, you know, I think it's basically just when it comes to that, Pete, like, I'm just like, here are the facts, man. Mm-hmm. Like here are the facts. And, and if you're going to hate me, you're going to hate me. Even we might have a great relationship and you might say, why do you do this? But here are the facts because there's a lot of places, you know, and, and even this year, there's been a lot of sort of these broad judgments and throwing it out there and everything. Well, okay, well, here's this, let's take the facts and go for good or bad. Right. Um, but it's never easy, man. Like it's because, because you don't want to like, listen, I, there's only one person like I really like, I dislike, I just say, okay, I'm just going to say all nice things about, and that's Joe Kelly because because <laughs> he doesn't play for the Red Sox, right? So, uh, and you know, and so whatever. But at the same time, you get if once you start, I, I learned this early on in talk show. If you're transparent and trying to protect somebody, it's done. Mm. You know, it's done. It's like it's it doesn't work. Interesting. You just, you just, I mean, I don't. I mean, from your perspective, is that could you see? Yeah, that? no. I, mean, I for for me, it's it's about. A, I like the I like objectivity, like you said. I mean, if it's fact, it, facts are the facts. They don't. But you also must get in the back of the hit, like you know, back in hitting cage, and you know, this human nature of like, oh, I can't believe they said this, or I can't believe they said that. Like, you know, I, I don't think, I I don't think that's it. Per, I guess I should say, speaking personally, like I don't. I never take it as personal attacks ever from anybody, good or good or bad, because except from your brother, except for my brother, <laughs> you know, yeah, except for my brother. No, I, I just it's part of the business, and it's it's something that I've learned. You know, I, I was you know I was an assistant here, obviously, with Tim Hires for two years, and he would always joke with me like, "Hey, I'm going to give you your first media, like I'm going to give you this one, or I'm going to give you that one, or hey, I want you to do the, you know, I want you to do the like a post game interview." Like he would he would give me little opportunities and. So I kind of got a little bit of a taste, but when I took over in 22, and obviously we struggled out of the gate a little bit, and there's a little bit of uh, a, l- a little bit of a spotlight on our offensive group that first three weeks of the season. Like I was, it was like a, it was, you know, I was, it was some just something new, something I had to get, I had to learn, and um, something I had, I had to go through to grow and all that stuff. And like, but I never take it as like a personal attack or anything like no, that. No, but you know, some guys do. I mean, this is, is what it is. Of I mean, course, of course. It's what it is. It is. What yeah. It is. And, and the, the problem is, honestly, is that the, the only time I, I, and this has happened in my career a few times, where the clubhouse is such a tight place and you're around each other so much, these false narratives sometimes spread throughout the clubhouse instead of like addressing, like, hey, like the media about something. And I've been around baseball to know that. Unfortunately, that just happens once in a while. But I guess TJ, along the lines of like you see, you're in the middle of social media, you know, <laughs> right? But I mean, I, I I say it like not only because you're once again excellent Twitter account, awesome <laughs> job. But you you have to like you enjoy social media. You and as a fan, you enjoy 
following along, having the conversations. But just like me, I see some things I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And But you have the perspective of being a brother of someone on the team. I, I know. It's a great – and for me, I, I personally am there for kind of the added info because there's so many people out there covering the game with social media. Like I feel like the cuffs are off for media in this new kind of age of, of Twitter and whatnot that when you're somebody like me, you're just trying to gather facts and just different um, personal thoughts. Like I think there's no better place than Twitter. And, and it, not to answer the question, it's kind of why baseball isn't boring. There's so much reaction – and there's so much to analyze in baseball, right? How many different outcomes are there with a pitch? So just getting all those unique perspectives are really interesting. And of course, for every good perspective, there's 10,000 reactionary ones that make yeah. no sense. Those are the ones I try to do nothing with. And part of it is, you know, Pete has his professional. I never want to create ties to anything within that regard uh, to kind of jeopardize anything with him. But, you know, I just like to talk baseball and be and, and be reactionary. But again, you can't avoid the fact that you look at some things and you just go, hey, that's a reactionary fan. That's what makes the fan base passionate and show up to the ball field every day and pay the bills. So, But I mean, um, I will say this, though, and you know this, is that – and I don't even know if, like, you say, hey, to P, hey, did you see this? And probably he had seen it. But there is so much – as a reporter, you're like, oh, my goodness, this person on Twitter is doing such a better job than I am and in, in uncovering this nugget because all this stuff is out there. You know – Yeah. My my thing, my advantage is that I can go and talk to people about things, right? That's my advantage. But that doesn't mean Twitter can't be this place where, oh, my goodness, here is something that somebody surfaced. I never thought of it that way or I never got that nugget. I mean, it's more like that than ever. So I'm saying that it's not all bad. That's what I'm saying. No, absolutely not. You just... And it makes you realize how many people are paying attention to the details, let alone just watching it at every game. And I think that's the community that I think social media positively can bring that, you know, if MLB can continue to get a stranglehold on, it's going to bring more people to the game. Just talking and having that time during the game to talk to, you know, I know the length has been cut down a little bit, but I think that's what makes baseball unique. It creates that community to talk through, you know, all the different reactions and mechanisms that make baseball great. Well, you guys have been the best guests we've ever had on Relatively Speaking. Wow. <laughs> we appreciate that. Honored. <laughs> yeah. Honored. But I, I do want to have you back. Uh, thanks, Pete. It's always good to talk to you. And TJ, it's great meeting with you. And I hope you come back on the podcast again because you're a natural. You're a natural. <laughs> Anytime. Anytime, uh, Rob. All right, guys.